0: This is a download from BFM 89.9, The Business Station.
1: Have you ever wondered what exactly success means to you? Is it money, fame, power... All of the above or none at all. I'm Dashan Johan and this is Redefining Success, a show where we speak to passionate people from various fields about their lives, what makes them tick and what the word success means to them. My guest on today's show is Heidi Kwa. She's the founder of Refuge for the Refugees. Welcome to the show, Heidi.
0: Thank you so much for having me
1: on the show. Yes, I'm very excited to um, talk to you about this because I've interviewed, um, you know, artists, um, journalists and all, but you're the first, um, you know, NGO activist. Um, you know, uh, you're the founder of an NGO that I, I'm, I'm having on the show. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to know how you define success. And let's start with that big question, right? Um, what does success mean to you, Heidi? How do you define success?
0: Wow, Dashun, I think that's a really good question. Um, It's something that I've been thinking a lot more lately right because honestly growing up I've always thought success meant you know being being able to earn big bucks you know being able to climb up the corporate ladder um, being able to be extremely influential but I think you know um, the older I grow the more I realize that success really means um, at least for me being able to make a positive impact in the communities that I am placed in and I think that is how I define success being able to make a positive impact on the communities I'm placed in Is it the refugee and migrant communities that I serve or just being able to be a positive influence to the people around me?
1: Right. So let's, um, you know, break that down a little bit by starting with, you know, the reason you decided to start your NGO Refuge for the Refugee in the first place. Why did you decide to do this?
0: Um, Honestly, this was never the plan. Um, But I think I I decided to start on this. I mean, honestly, I was really young then. So about 17, 18 years old, right after secondary school. Um, You know, and I remember just being really intrigued or passionate about social issues. Um, You know, know, right then, then I think it was the Facebook era. And I think you're just a bit more um, aware about just social justice issues happening. And I realized then that I wanted to do something about... um, um, you know, about, yeah, something about the, the issues that the communities were facing. I mean, I, I was feeling a lot at the point, right? I think a lot of times I was just really angry, angry that, you know, injustice is so real, angry right. that, you know, poverty was such a big deal. But I realized that I had to do something about this anger rather than just sit and stew in anger. So that's when I decided to start Refuge for the Refugees.
1: And. You know, from that point, right, when you decided to start Refuge for the Refugees, at which point did you realize that, you know, this could be your main focus, that you could focus on this, um, you know, full time and make it a quote unquote career
0: yeah, I think I realized about three years after starting Refugee Refugees. So for my um early years, I was doing my foundation and degree. I was in university and college while um running Refugee Refugees. And right when I was right when I was about to end, I think that's where we've hit a significant growth um, in realizing that, you know what, this can be a full-time job. I mean, at a point, I think, you know, along with my friends who were at Crossroads, many of them were entering corporate, but that's when I realized that the bigger need, I mean, or at least what was a need to me was within the communities, and I had to do something about it, and that's when I realized that, hey, you know what, maybe we can go full-time with this. Um, And it's been, this year actually marks my 10th year into running Refuge for the Refugees.
1: That's really, really amazing. Now, you know, earlier you brought up that, you know, at one point in your life, um, you thought that um, when it comes to success, it means um, climbing up the corporate ladder or or making um, big bucks. Um, How were you during your schooling days? Um, What were your interests and ambitions back then? (laughs)
0: <laughs> I was, I was completely different. I was extremely shy, right. very soft-spoken. Um, I think I was very different, right? So primary school, I was a bit feistier, a bit more, um, yeah, I, I was a bit more outspoken primary school and came, and but when I hit my secondary school years, I was... Like really shy, quite soft spoken, um, quite timid. Uh yeah. And I think I was just pretty very, very average. I mean, when it came to my grades, um, uh, there were some subjects, you know, that I was better in. There's some subjects that you know I could be better in. Um, yeah, and I think my interest, honestly, at a point I did not have a lot of interest or ambitions. Um, as well. I I know at one point I wanted to be a I don't know why, but I wanted to be a police officer. Wow. Still very justice driven. (laughs) Um, My particular interest back in secondary school, I was actually part of the Christian Fellowship group um, where I was the head of the encouragement department for about two to three years. So I would spend a lot of time actually making cards and writing notes for people and trying to, yeah, in some ways, you know, lift up the spirits of others. I guess so that is I mean as far as I remember you know that's that's how far my interest goes really in 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 art and craft and and seeing how we can um, cheer people up I guess <laughs> Right
1: and and what you know did did your parents have particular like did they sort of want you to or hope that you would do um certain things whether it's something in within the the realm of science or or something did they hope that you would you know um graduate from uni and then start climbing up the corporate ladder and things like that did they did they have some um, sort yeah. of yeah what well, what was that then then how did they sort of um uh, you know React when you told them That this is what You want to do Refuge <laughs> for the refugees <laughs> So the
0: thing is I am the youngest Of three siblings Right And all three of us uh, Ended up Doing finance related stuff You know Did our degree In accounting And finance or degree in finance um, My sister works In a big form My brother worked In the bank For a while And so you know Obviously I was expected To do something Along the lines of that Right But right. I uh, swung The complete opposite end And go like You know what hey instead of working in finance let me just see how we can give away money in an NGO instead. <laughs> um yeah so I think like that was where things really shifted. Um how my I think that was what you know my parents were just hoping all of us you know end up doing um either working in banks or big force um and that's why even in I think was it Form 4? Uh, there was a year in school that you can get, you can take accounts as an elective and I ended up doing that instead, um, taking accounts as an elective, um, just, you know, so that I could do something accounting related, you know, when I finally finished school. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, when I expressed a lot of interest actually in... Um, you know, doing NGO work. I think for a while, it was difficult for them to process, um, but they saw my passion. I mean, I think my passion right then, then even at a very young age shown through, um, I would, you know, after classes in university, I would take the bus down to the refugee school to teach. I would spend my weekends teaching in the refugee school as well. Um, you know, I would then actively get involved in advocacy work, and that's when they realized that, like, hey, you know, as long as you're passionate about it, um, as long as you know you can end up supporting yourself in one way or another, then uh, you can do whatever that brings you joy. I think because at the end of the day, that's what parents want, right? For the children to do things that brings them joy.
1: Certainly, and what has um what what drives you to keep um doing what you're doing and and um, you know more than that right i'm also wondering if you know especially when you first started refuge for the refugee um did you ever need like a day job to sustain this part you've chosen
0: yeah uh for the first 3 years um, when I was still in university, I was actually taking on a couple of part-time jobs. So I was a project manager for a while. Um, I worked in a few uh, project management uh, consultancy firms to help with project management just so that I could earn an income um, to be able to continue supporting myself. So I think that is, yeah. So especially in our early years, I think. So what drives me to keep doing what I'm doing, I think it's really understanding that there is a need out there um I don't know I mean I see this a lot um growing up I never really understood what privilege is right I mean for me privilege always meant luxury luxurious holidays right. um fancy meals um big houses big cars um and and really nice stuff like that but I think it's only when I started working with the community that's when I realized that privilege means access to education access to to um to a voice um access, I mean having a roof over my head, not having to worry about when my next meal is. And this really means, um and with all of this, you know, how am I um utilizing my privilege in that sense, right? How can I be a voice for a community that often doesn't get heard? Um, and that's why I guess I keep I, I do what I do, understand it's in me understanding my privilege. So I hope, I kind of went everywhere with that, but I hope it makes
1: sense. No, no, you are, you're making perfect sense, right? And, and so with that in mind, right, especially in the early years where you had to balance, um, you know, a day job and also running refuge for the refugees, were there points where you felt like, you know, uh, you know this part isn't going to work out, that you, you might need to, you know, eventually quit and, and switch to a corporate job, for example?
0: Yeah, most definitely. I think there were so many instances. And if I get to be real, I mean, even up till to today, right, mm-hmm. 10 years into it, and I go like, oh, man, you know, I am going to hit 30 in a couple of years. um, You know, I obviously want to be able to, you know, buy my own house one day right. or get married or have my own family and do stuff like that. And that point where, you know, wonder whether is it, I mean, I do end up going on a job search and looking for jobs and going like, hey, would it make sense to switch to corporate? Um, Yeah, so I think there there were quite a number of points, I guess, throughout my past 10 years that I've thought about going over to the corporate world. Um, But I know that, I I mean, I know that I wouldn't be as fulfilled, I guess, in a corporate job as compared to um, working in, uh,
1: the NGO that I'm currently in. Hmm. And is that what sort of keeps you um, doing what you're doing now? Um, this idea of fulfillment um, and you know that like you said like you know if, I, if you switch to a corporate job there's going to be more money but you are very fulfilled doing what you're doing now. Is that what um, sort of yeah. made you like c- continue to persist down this path?
0: Yeah, most definitely. I think it's it's fulfillment at the end of the day. I mean, when I think back about, um, you know, quite a number of, over the past couple of years i have been offered different opportunities that came with money, um, I realized that like, yeah, as tempting as it is, uh, it wouldn't be quite as fulfilling as um, the work that I'm currently doing now. And when I ask you know, what keeps me alive, what keeps me getting out of bed every morning, what keeps me excited, um, it would be definitely fulfillment um, in serving the communities. Right, and just really seeing, I think it was it's been really impactful seeing lives change. I mean, and I say this, I mean not to say that like. I mean, I know saying changing lives is is, is is it sounds big, but I think in just seeing lives turn around for the better, I think that has been my biggest joy.
1: We do need to go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Heidi Quash She's the founder of Refuge for the Refugees. After the break, I'll be asking her what are some of the biggest challenges she's faced so far. We'll be back with more on Redefining Success, BFM 89.9. back to Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan and on the show with me today is Heidi Kwa. She's the founder of Refuge for the Refugees. So Heidi, um, I want to talk to you about some of the challenges you faced um, when you set up Refuge for the Refugee um, early on um, because I think a lot of people don't understand um, the hard work um, that perhaps goes into it. Talk to me about that period, right, where um, you know, you knew, you know that you know you just set up refuge for the refugees. Now you still have to get a you know, work on a day job to sustain yourself while you know balancing refuge for the refugee as well. So you, I'm guessing at that point you were super super packed to the brim. At which point did you um, tell me about how did how it went from that to like you uh, realizing that okay, um, you know I I can perhaps uh, I don't need a day job anymore. Um, I can focus um, completely on Refuge for the Refugee. What was that process like?
0: Oh, wow. I think the early years were tough. I mean, I at one point I was just sleeping what two, three hours every night. Wow. Um, it was it was torturous. That's crazy. But, um, yeah, and I think, you know, being, you know, r- fresh out of secondary school, um, being then in university and trying to talk about an issue that is so-called controversial, right? I mean, we used to go to shopping malls to set up booths, you know, we used to um, you know, try to do awareness roadshows in shopping malls to raise awareness about the plight of refugees in Malaysia. And I think um, you know people would literally come up to us and 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 shame us for for working with refugees, um, or ask us you know why are you wasting our future? Um, and and these conversations often happen. So I think those were some of the biggest challenges, not just in trying to um, get through to people and, and 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 tackle xenophobia in that sense, and, and get people to just understand, you know, the struggles that the community face. But more than that, it was it was the funding. Um, you know, we started with zero connection, zero network. How do we even begin to fundraise um, to support? schools um, to put kids through um, the education system um, right then and then I think uh, another big struggle was also um, looking into human trafficking cases so we um, do look into quite a number of human trafficking cases and and I think kind of being thrown into the deep end of dealing with syndicates um, you know and having to kind of worry about our safety right. um, I think that forced me to grow up really really quickly. So um, I think it's, you know, when you're kind of new to the system, it's kind of figuring out how it works, right? How do you file a police report? Um, What entitles you to? uh, How do you even rescue a child from a human trafficking ring? I mean, I I never went to school for any of this. So I think the learning process was very, very steep. But I'm thankful for very good mentors um, that have been walking us through and being so kind with their networks and knowledge um, each and every time we reach
1: out. Mm -hmm. And what has been your proudest moment so far?
0: Hmm. I think one of my proudest moments would definitely be Seeing my kids come a full cycle. So a lot of the students that I first started teaching when I uh, when I started about 10 years ago, uh, now many of them are resettled. Um, But the ones that are here are actually working in other NGOs or working to serve their own community. So uh, I've got one of my students, her name is Angela. Um, I started teaching her, I think, when I was about 18 years old, and now she's 21. Um, and now she works in a shelter caring for victims of domestic violence. Um, and she's learning to develop her own voice and being a fierce advocate. And, and I think that makes me extremely proud seeing the kids that we once sought into come a full cycle and and, and speak up for the communities on their own.
1: Now, Heidi, I'm very curious, right? Because, uh, you know, different industries, um, people who are passionate about different things measure growth differently. As someone who runs... Uh, an NGO, um, how do you measure growth?
0: Mm-hmm. Good question. <laughs> I've been asking myself that a lot lately. Um, it's honestly hard to measure growth, uh, given that you know we're working with people. You know, with no set KPIs in right. place. If that makes sense. Um, but I think I measure growth based on the depth of the relationships. Um, that we have with the communities that we serve. Um, And and I measure growth based on seeing how many of them come out of maybe either the cycle of poverty or gain access to higher education um, or even just learn to be advocates uh, on their own. Um, And I think that to me is the biggest indicator of growth. Um, seeing them, you know, not just depend on another community or you know another NGO to support them, but then taking um, taking it into their own hands and seeing how they can um, be their own leaders. I mean, uh, find ways to generate income for their own communities, and I think that's how I measure growth. Um, And I guess for me personally, I measure growth based on, I think I used to chase numbers and statistics a lot, honestly, um, because that's how the world typically measures growth, right? Based on the number of schools that you set up, based on um, number of policies that you've changed. But um, I think more more recently, the past two years, I've learned to measure growth based on um, my understanding of the needs out there and how best to serve the
1: communities. Um, right yeah and I, 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 with that in mind have do you think that or how, how do you reflect on your growth over the past 10 years
0: mm-hmm. uh wow <laughs> um i <laughs> Big question, Dashan. Um, I think, I mean, I would definitely think That I've grown leaps and bounds um, I've learned to pick and choose my battles I used to be super chili-padi You know, just <laughs> passionate about everything under the sun <laughs> And expect instant change overnight right. Just really critical about systems Critical about a lot of things, you know Um, And I was just constantly running on Honestly, a lot of anger right. Um. Now, as I'm You know, over the past 10 years, I've learned to pick and choose my battles. I've learned when to stay quiet, but when to still speak out with conviction. Um, You know, I've learned to... Uh, sit with the community and ask them, I think I used to when I first started, it used to be like, okay, I will go to a community and we will in, immediately start formulating plans about you know what they need, what sort of help they need right. But I think over the years I've definitely learned to sit with the community and have them tell me what they want us to do instead and that's when we realized that our work has become the most effective when we partner with the community leaders to serve the needs um, that is relevant to them and not not push not us pushing our ideals down their throats, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, so I think those have been my two biggest growth points. I've definitely grown a lot in conviction. Um, conviction, uh, grown a lot in, in being justice-driven as well. Uh, I've grown a lot in courage. I think I used to be a lot more timid. Now I've learned to hit back where it matters. Um, but also, more importantly, I've grown to learn to how, I guess I've learned over the years how to jaunt, um quiet the noises. I think people are extremely opinionated um, about how you should be doing things. Um, and often, honestly, I think maybe five, six years in, I started you know, when when the work became a bit more public facing, um, I started getting very distracted by what people were telling us to do, um, people on strangers on social media. But now that you know, I'm a bit more older. I've learned to just quiet down the noises and to learn to listen to the community leaders instead, um, to work with them and 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 meet their needs. You know where they are.
1: Hmm. I think that's absolutely yeah. fantastic. Now, what does it feel like doing something you love?
0: Hmm. <laughs> um, definitely a lot of it's it's been a lot of joy, a lot of joy, a lot of fulfillment, but also a lot of hard work. I think when you do what you love, people don't, I mean, I think sometimes when we talk about doing what we love, it's over-romanticized. Um, people think that it's a you know perfectly easy journey. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you don't you wake up every day excited. Um, if I get to be honest, uh it's not, it's a lot of hard work, right? So when you do what you love, it's extremely it brings you a lot of joy, it brings you a lot of fulfillment, but I think work becomes a lot more emotional. Um, And that's something that, you know, I'm trying to juggle with, right? Because it keeps so much more close to home um, based on your values and your convictions. Yeah, but I think doing what you love is really important. I know that I am the only reason why I can keep going for the past 10 years is because this is what I really love doing. And I find complete joy and fulfillment um, in doing what I do.
1: What advice would you give young people who are contemplating um, you know, to work at or start their own NGO, but I'm afraid that there's no future, um, for them in the industry, um, if you can call it that.
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think you know, I would the advice I give young people is to, um, you know, if you're passionate about it. go go fully into running the NGO. I mean, um, if you're passionate about something, your passion ends up shining through and there will be ways to monetize your expertise after. And I say this, um, being someone that to learn to do that, right? Obviously, nobody goes into you know NGO work to get rich. Right. Um, but but I think there is um the world has come to a place where they're a lot more aware, um, both the corporate and, and everyone else, they're a lot more aware of hitting their ESG goals, being a lot more aware about social uh, justice issues, and, and people are a lot more empowered to take action, I guess. So if you are passionate about, you know doing NGO work, you know, fighting for a cause, there will be ways to monetize it through consultations, um, through, uh, you know, being on boards, you know, working with corporates to improve their policies. Um, There will be ways to monetize it, but you can only monetize it when you are truly passionate about it because it's when your passion shines through and people will start calling you in um, for different work opportunities.
1: On that note, thank you so much for joining me today, Heidi. Thank you so much for having me, Dashran. That was Heidi Kwa. She's the founder of Refuge for the Refugees. If you missed any part of our conversation, you can check out the podcast on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. Look up Redefining Success. I'm Dashran Johan, BFM 89.9.